from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Amen. We live in a suffering world, in a world of suffering, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is not something that I need to convince you of. We all know it entirely too well. And as much as we try to insulate ourselves from it, it invades our reality. We see it, we experience it, it's part and parcel to our human experience. Every child since the creation of time has come forth from the womb with crying and tears. And those may be the first, but they surely are not the last. The trials, the trauma, the suffering that we see and experience are probably the most difficult parts of life. And so what do we do with it? Well, as Christians, there should be a deep sorrow of the fallenness of the world. As we read of the creation and see how God made this and it was good and he made that and it was good, there should be great sadness as we get to Genesis chapter 3 and we read of the fall that mankind and all of creation would now suffer under the effects of the fall. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that creation groans and we groan with it. And with that groaning, we inevitably ask the question, how long, O Lord? How long? How long will this world be subjected to futility? How long must we wait until the day of redemption? How long until our freedom from the bondage of our corruption? You feel that, don't you? You sense that, both externally as well as internally. The sin and fall without, as well as the sin and the fall within. And so we say, how long, O Lord? How long? We're not the only ones that have felt that. That has been the theme of all believers throughout the centuries. Ever since the time of Adam and Eve. And many critics of Christianity, those that are anti-God, will point to this reality and say, see if there is a God, what kind of God is he, that he would allow this suffering into the world. And that problem with evil and suffering is a tough reality, isn't it? And so what do we do with it? We cannot hide from it, we cannot cover it over, but neither do we need to, because God surely is not. And so as we come this night the night of our Lord's passion, of his arrest, and ultimately of his crucifixion, we see that Christ did not hide from suffering. 
but rather entered into it. He took it on. And he took it on to a degree that we will never know or experience. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the forever proof that our God knows suffering, has experienced suffering. And not just suffering in general, but our suffering. But he did it much more than just to sympathize with us. No, the cross puts meaning, even life, into suffering. All suffering. Ultimately, it is the path and deliverance from suffering. So tonight, as we see in our passage in 1 Peter 3, that he is indeed the suffering Savior. And thus, he is the Savior from suffering. And those will be our two points this night. First, the suffering Savior. This passage comes at the end of a larger section on suffering that begins back in verse 8. And so it's helpful to understand the context. In verse 10, you see that Peter is quoting the psalm, Psalm 34, where it says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And no doubt you can imagine from this quotation, from this psalm, there is a question that arises. Hold on, if God's ear is attentive to the prayers of the righteous and his face is against those who do evil, why does it not appear that way? Why does our reality seem to say something different? Do we not see the righteous suffering? And indeed we do, and in fact that is who Paul, or excuse me, Peter is writing to. He's writing to those that were suffering, and suffering in great ways. They were suffering violence, persecution, even death and martyrdom. And it would seem like evil was and still is prevailing and growing, not diminishing. So how can we know in such a circumstance that God indeed does hear and that he is against evil? Well, the answer, quite simply, is Christ. An answer that is simple and yet profound. The answer is Christ. That God is not ignorant of what his people are going through especially in suffering, any more than God the Father was ignorant of the suffering of his son when he went through it. Not only was he aware of it, but he used every bit of it as a part of his will and a part of his way. And that is what is beautiful and even perplexing as we think and meditate upon the suffering and death of Christ that the Lord uses suffering. We even see in verse 17, the verse just preceding, we even read that this is a part of God's will. That it's not by happenstance that we suffer. 
that he is not too weak not to stop it or too uncaring to not do something about it. That is often the objection of evil and suffering. That God is either not strong enough to do something about it or that he does not care. No, he is strong. He is all-powerful. And at the same time, he is all-caring. In fact, he cares enough to allow suffering to happen. And that may seem like a contradiction. Suffering doesn't seem like care. It seems like the neglect of it. And from our human perspective, that's how we would think or that's how we would see our circumstances. But that is where we need to see this night the cross. Because the cross changes our reality. It changes our worldview. It's the lens by which we see everything what we see and understand the world as well as our own lives. And what we see in 1 Peter 3.18 is that Christ also suffered. Christ suffered. We could talk about his suffering at every stage of his life from conception and birth to his life to his death and ultimately to his burial. All of it was a part of his humiliation and a part of his suffering. We can talk about Christ lowering himself, humbling himself, coming to this earth as a servant, and not just any servant, but as we heard earlier from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. One who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We can talk about the suffering that he endured at the very end and how he entered into the suffering of this world, the suffrage of this world. And Peter is not saying here that Christ suffered, that he experienced it like we've experienced it, that he's tasted suffering, therefore he can relate to our suffering, all of which is true. No, he is saying something much, much More than that. You could even say infinitely more than that. Because Christ did not just suffer. No, he endured all suffering. He endured suffering to a degree that no human has or ever could. Because when we talk about the suffering of Christ, it's not just the physical suffering It's not just the crown of thorns. It's not just the 39 lashes or the nail-pierced hands and feet. Nor was it just the emotional suffering of mocking and of ridicule, of being abandoned and left alone. No, we have to include in his suffering the spiritual and even the eternal suffering of being the sin offering, of being the object of the infinite suffering wrath of a holy God, of having God the Father turn his face from his very own son because his son had become a curse. Scripture says cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. No mere mortal 
could have endured what Christ endured. The larger catechism says it this way when it asks, why must the mediator be God? The answer in part we hear is to keep from sinking under the wrath of God and to give worth and efficacy to the wrath of God. I liken it to this. I know nothing about blacksmithing and working with metal, but I knew, do know that to melt and shape metal, you have to use tools that have already gone through the process, meaning that they have already gone through the fire, that you have to use tongs and hammers and chisels that have been strengthened and shaped by the fire. And as we think about the suffering and the wrath that was endured by Christ, that is the way in which we must think about it. To be saved from the fire and wrath of God, there was one that had to endure it first. And the one that endured it first was the perfect, spotless Son of God. And in so doing it, in so going through that suffering, in so going through the fires of the wrath of God, he is now able to pluck out of the fire of wrath and the hell of forevermore. And so we should not compare the sufferings of Christ with our sufferings. For if we do, we do not know that which we speak. Christ suffered. As Peter says, once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. The one righteous for the billions and billions of unrighteous. And the billions and billions of sins of each and every one of those unrighteous Ones. And so therefore we can say that Christ suffered the infinite wrath of God for the infinite sins of his people against an infinitely holy God. His suffering was for those sins. And so perhaps we should ask why, for what purpose? Well, the suffering Savior as a result becomes the Savior from suffering. See, if Christ was merely a partaker, if he was just a participant in our human suffering, if he was just a fellow sharer of it, he could be sympathetic, yes, but he could not be our Savior. We would still be left in and with our suffering. We'd still be left in and with our sin. But what Peter is saying is that he suffered for a greater purpose. You see it there, to bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Do you hear what Peter is saying? That he suffered so that we could be brought to God. That he took the suffering that we could not endure, the death that we could not die, so we need not, so that we could ultimately live and be brought to God. That we would live forever and ever for all eternity without pain, without tears, without suffering of any kind. 
And you might want to object tonight and say, that's great, I look forward to that, but how about now? I still have pain, I still have hurt, I still have suffering. And that is true. And that is why the salvation of Christ is already and not yet. On one hand, we have received it, it is finished, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, yet we have not come unto the full reality of our salvation. We could say that we are stuck here below, trapped in this body of death, as Paul calls it. Yet even here, while still awaiting that full glory and that final consummation, the Lord has not left us. Indeed, he has not forsaken us. In fact, he puts meaning through Christ now into all things, even our suffering and pain and tears. Even that has purpose. You might say, how? Well, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ redeems every pain and even our sorrows and suffering. No, we are not automatically sheltered from it. In fact, we might even say and should say that when coming to Christ, we'll endure more than most as part of our cross-bearing. And our suffering, whatever it is, is a participation in the suffering of Christ. In fact, just a chapter later, Peter will say this, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Yes, his glory will be fully revealed in his coming back, but do we not see the glory of God even in suffering now? As tonight we meditate upon the tragic and horrific suffering that Christ endured, we might ask what good could come from it? And yet we can say, and even more importantly, Scripture says that the greatest good came from this suffering. That creation's salvation, our salvation, came in and through suffering. Because through that suffering, we were brought back to God for all eternity. If God could do something like that, in and through the cross, then is it too hard for him to take our pain and our suffering and bring something good from it? To bring about glory and even the good of his people from it and through it? Of course not. That is who our God is. That is what he does. He brings beauty out of ashes Gladness out of mourning. Praise from despair. So that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, Isaiah says, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul says as well when he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God displayed in the face of Christ. But now we have this treasure in jars of clay 
that his all-surpassing power, that which is from God and not from us, though we are hard-pressed on every side, we are not crushed. Though perplexed, we are not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, Paul says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Do you hear what Paul is saying? That even in our suffering, even in our dying, and even in our eventual death, the glory of God shines. That life, and even life eternal, is at work in you and in me. And so there is a day coming very soon when even death and dying will be done away with. And we will experience pure and unadulterated glory and joy in the face of our Savior. And so in that, we can say, even now, even tonight, that our sufferings, our afflictions, are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Yes, this night we remember. And yes, this night we even celebrate amidst the somberness of the thorns and of the scourging and of the nails that Christ took all suffering that we may gain the good and the glory of God forevermore, that even our present sufferings are not wasted. So the world indeed might ask, was God not strong enough or did he not care? And we can say quite emphatically, no, it was and is in fact the exact opposite. That he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son the one whom we know as the suffering Savior, that whoever believes in him would not die and ultimately would not suffer, but would live without suffering forevermore. That is what we celebrate this night. Amen.